So, as I said, we continue tonight with our study of the tabernacle furniture. And though we've spent the last two Sunday nights in the most holy place, which was the innermost section of the tabernacle, looking at the Ark of the Covenant, we come out of the most holy place tonight into what is simply called the holy place. And there are two pieces of furniture here. The table of the bread of the presence and the lampstand, or the menorah. These are described in Exodus 25, 23 to 40, which we just read. And we're looking at these two pieces together tonight because as Michael Morales, who's a professor at Reformed Theological Seminary, wrote an excellent book on the theology of Leviticus. As Michael Morales notes, the significance of the lampstand should be understood together with that of the bread of the presence forming one symbolic picture. So if one were to walk eastward out of the most holy place toward the exit of the tabernacle, then the bread of the presence would be on the left-hand side and the lampstand would be on the right-hand side as he exited the most holy place. Coming the other way, of course, westward in towards the most holy place, the lampstand would be on the left side and the bread of the presence would be on the right side. They were on either side of the room, so to speak. But though they are distinguishable pieces from one another, the table is not the lampstand, the lampstand is not the table. They are not, however, two separate and unrelated things. As Morales said, they form one symbolic picture. And what is that one symbolic picture? To answer that question is the aim of our sermon tonight. But let's start with a face value examination of these objects and the ceremonies related to them. So, in other words, before we consider what they symbolize, let's just consider what they literally were. To begin with, the table of the bread of the presence was a table constructed in a similar style to the Ark of the Covenant. It was crafted from wood and overlaid with gold. Verse 25 mentions a rim about a handbread wide. And so there was a rim that was either below the surface of the table, like from here down, or there was a rim that was from the surface of the table upwards. It's unclear which it was. If it was below, then it would be just decorative. If it was above, it would turn the top of the table into essentially a shallow box. To me, that second possibility makes more sense because according to Leviticus chapter 24, two piles of bread, six loaves each, were placed upon the top of this table weekly, each Sabbath day. And so a rim extending upward from the surface of the table would keep the loaves from inadvertently falling off. However, I admit that it's debatable whether the rim extended up or down, and it's probably of little theological significance. Whatever the case, this table was overlaid with gold as the ark was. 
And there were dishes associated with the table for the serving and the eating of the bread. Just let me check. Can you hear me in the back with the rain? Yeah, hands up if you can hear me all right. Okay, good. So this table was overlaid with gold as the ark was. And there were dishes associated with the table for the serving and the eating of bread. And these dishes were gold too. In fact, they were pure gold. When the tabernacle was disassembled for travel, the table would be carried by poles, just as the ark was carried by poles. Hence the instructions for rings in verse 26. As mentioned already, bread would be set upon the table weekly. Sabbath by Sabbath, new bread would be placed upon the table. And the old bread, this is an important point, hear this. The old bread would be eaten by the priests at the time when it was removed from display on the table. So the bread wasn't merely ornamental. The bread was functional, or at least sacramental. Considering it was weak old bread, it may not have been so much for the nourishment of the priest, but at least sacramental in that it was intended to be eaten by the priests. The bread was there for the priests. Just file that away. Now, the lampstand was across from the table, and it was made of pure gold. And it would have weighed somewhere between 50 to 75 pounds. So this was a hefty lampstand. Not just a tiny little thing, but a serious lampstand. It had many ornamental decorations, making it not merely functional, but beautiful. And yet, it was functional. Look at verse 37. You shall make seven lamps for it. And the lamps shall be set up so as to give light on the space in front of it. And by way of reminder, what occupied the space in front of it? Across the holy place, in front of the lampstand, was the table of the bread of the presence. And the light from the lamp was never to go out, according to Leviticus 24, verses 2 and 3. Command the people of Israel to bring you pure oil from beaten olives for the lamp, that a light may be kept burning regularly. Outside the veil of the testimony in the tent of meeting, Aaron shall arrange it from evening to morning before the Lord regularly. The older translation says continually, and I think that that's very much intended to be the sense of it. After all, the bread is said to be on the table er, pardon me, regularly, but we know that it means continually. It was to be there all the time, and it was to be replaced by a hot loaf at the very time that you took off the old loaf, a hot loaf was to be placed there. So there was never a gap, and that's said to be regularly on the table. So likewise, the light from the lamp is to be continually emanating from the lampstand, not just at regular intervals, but continuously. This is the sense of it. 
if regularly simply meant light it at night from evening to morning, regularly, that is day by day, but it didn't have to be lit during the day, the priests wouldn't be able to see in the most holy place, or pardon me, in the holy place during the day because the tabernacle had no windows. And if Aaron was to go in there and light it after dark, when the sun set, he wouldn't even be able to see how to light it. So it just doesn't make sense. It fits with the usage of the word regularly for the bread being there continually to say that the light was also supposed to be emanating from the lampstand continually. Likewise, to interpret it as at regular intervals as opposed to continuously just doesn't make sense of a function of a lampstand in a place with no windows. So the light, pardon me, the lamp is to be always burning. Okay, so if we were to summarize this section of the sermon, at face value, there was a gold table with bread on it, which the priests would eat, and there was a golden lampstand which would cast light upon the table. Now we're no closer to understanding what these things symbolize, are we? But at least we know, literally and at face value, what these things were and the ceremonies associated with them. A golden table with bread on it, which priests would eat, and a lampstand, which was always perpetually, continuously giving off light. Again, I raise the question, what is the one symbolic picture formed by the lampstand and the table together? Answering that question is going to be the main takeaway from this sermon tonight. But first, let's examine now the table of the bread of the presence and the lampstands in Solomon's temple. So here we read about the, the bread, the table of the bread of the presence and the lampstand in the tabernacle, which was a tent erected wherever the Israelites would camp in the wilderness, but which was disassembled as they would travel and then set up again whenever they would make camp. When the Israelites finally got into the land, at a later date, Solomon built a permanent structure which replaced the tabernacle. And so the temple was a permanent structure which replaced the tabernacle. Solomon was the builder, and that's why it's often called Solomon's temple. Really, it was God's temple. It served the same function in the Israelite community and had the same basic layout as the tabernacle did, but it was a permanent structure. In coming to understand the significance of the table of the bread of the presence, we should note that in Solomon's temple, the table, singular, becomes tables, plural, when the tabernacle becomes a permanent structure under Solomon's reign. And when the temple expands to include many more priests than served in the tabernacle. So instead of one table, there are multiple tables, according to 2 Chronicles chapter 4 and verse 19. I'm going to reference a lot of scriptures tonight that we're not going to have time to turn to, but it will be worth your while to scribble them down if you can, or go back and listen to this sermon at some point. Now what's interesting about this is that 1 Kings 7, which is a parallel passage, Describing the same events as 2 Chronicles 4. 
says that there is only one table. So 2 Chronicles 4.19 says that there's ten tables. 1 Kings 7 says that there's only one table. And when David is running from Saul in 1 Samuel 21, there seems to be only one table also at that time with a limited amount of bread. It seems then that there were more tables crafted by Solomon which were to be functional places for the priests to eat. And yet there was a single table which was still understood to be central to whatever the imagery of the table and the lamp was intended to convey. That's my reading of it. I think there was still a table that we could call the table of the bread of the presence, and yet there were ten more which were functional, where there would still be bread for the priests to eat. That's my reading of it. It's debatable, I admit. Another possibility is that there simply became ten tables of the bread of the presence. But from my perspective, that just fails to account for how come 1 Kings 7 says the table of the bread of the presence. Anyway, that's somewhat incidental to tonight. I'm just trying to explain as we go along how things develop. And just as one table became multiple tables in Solomon's temple, so one lampstand becomes several lampstands. In Solomon's temple, according to 2 Chronicles 4, verse 20. How many would you guess that there were? 1 Kings 7, 49 says that there were 10. So, in Solomon's temple, there are either 10 or 11 tables, depending on how you read it. And there are 10 lampstands. Depending on whether there was an additional unique table or not. That's the difference between 10 and 11. But basically you have 10 lampstands and at least 10 tables, if not 11. So with the expansion of tables, there is an expansion of lampstands. I don't believe that the expansion of the number of tables and the number of lampstands fundamentally changes the symbolism. Whether there is one table with one lampstand or ten tables with ten lampstands, the symbolic picture remains unchanged, I believe. And I'd like to make a preliminary attempt at answering the question, what is the one symbolic picture formed by the lampstand and the table together? Or the lampstands and the tables, plural, together, as the case may be. Now, let's not overcomplicate this. If you were a small child, and you were told that we are going to God's tabernacle, or God's temple, and obviously we know little children were not allowed in the holy place, but let's use our sanctified imagination here. You go to visit God's tabernacle, or God's temple, and you walk into the holy place, and you observe priests eating bread which had been placed there. Whose bread would you think it was that they were eating? God's bread. Right? Let's not overcomplicate this. Who shared their bread then? Who invited the priests to the table? God. So we're in God's presence, and this is God's bread. And yet, who does God share it with? The priests. 
And who do the priests represent? The people of God. So the table represents God welcoming His people into His presence to eat with Him. Giving His people a seat at the table. And who provides the light in this place? God. By means of the lampstand or the menorah. And we know that we are in the presence of God in the holy place because it is within the tabernacle. And the tabernacle is where God dwells. But what is the token of God's presence in the holy place? After all, the whole thing is to be a visual representation of eating with God. And the bread is called, after all, the bread of the presence. So where is the visual representation of God's presence in the holy place? And what is to keep us from thinking that we are near God, but not in the very presence of God, because the mercy seat is behind the curtain? What is to assure us that as we sit and as we eat at God's table, that we really are in God's presence? What is the visible symbol of God's presence in the holy place? As the mercy seat is the visible representation of the presence of God in the most holy place. I believe it is the lampstand. As we're about to see in Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 10, the lamps are called the eyes of the Lord, which range through the whole earth. So if the little flames burning on the lampstand represent the eyes of God. Then when you are in the holy place, from where is God watching you? Where is God watching you from? The lampstand. And consider the images of light and warmth which emanate from fire. There, fire is at least as befitting a symbol of God's presence as anything else in all creation. And it is a visual representation that God Himself has chosen to designate His presence, both in the appearance to Moses at the burning bush, He appeared to him in the fire, right? And in later scriptural writings, we read that our God is a consuming fire. So we are not without precedent for seeing God in the flame or in the fire. We sing at Christmas, hark the herald angels sing, light and life to all he brings. This is the symbolism of the lampstand, the beauty and the glory, the light, and the warmth of God's presence. I don't go too deep into numerology, but in biblical numerology, seven typically represents completeness, which also is fitting when we are speaking of an infinite, eternal God. The never-extinguished light designating God's eternity and infinitude and immutability. 
that God is always there, invariably there, unchangeably there, welcoming His people to come and to eat at His table in His presence. Through the priests, God's people symbolically eat in God's presence in a place where God Himself is the light. Does that ring any bells? Does that remind you of anything? It should. Let's consider now the lampstands in later apocalyptic writings. We won't look at it in depth tonight. You can look it up on your own time. But in Zechariah 4, the lampstand appears again. This time with two olive trees beside it, which are pouring oil into the lamp. This is a vision that Zechariah sees, not a literal description of what's in the temple. But Zechariah sees the lampstand in the temple, and he sees in a vision two olive trees beside it pouring oil into the lampstand. For the very reason that it is the olive trees which sustain the lamp, many commentators argue that the lamp cannot therefore represent God since God's people don't sustain God. Which would be a challenge to my thesis then, wouldn't it? But consider the role of the people of God, both in the Old Testament and New, to bear witness to God, to be emissaries of God, to, to proclaim God to the nations. Though we don't sustain God, we do sustain God's witness in the world. And if you're uncomfortable with that line of reasoning, hear Paul in Romans 10, verse 14. How are they to hear without someone preaching? In other words, there is going to be no witness to God if we don't preach. There is a sense then in which, without our preaching, there is no witness to God in this world. No one can ever see the light and life that He brings them. No one can ever behold the glory of God without the witness that we bear to God in this world. So the olive trees represent not the people of God sustaining God, but sustaining a witness to God in the world. See, at this juncture of biblical history, there were, the Israelites had been exiled to Babylon, and Solomon's temple had been destroyed. And they were trying to rebuild the temple now, and return from exile in Babylon to their own land, and have a temple again in which to worship. But there were opponents to the rebuilding. And if the opponents had the victory, there would be no temple. And there would be then no witness to God in the world. So, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Back up. Follow me. Hang, hang everything so far. There's going to be unresolved threads, and I'm going to tie it all together. 
Hang on. Let's review briefly. In the tabernacle and in Solomon's temple, the lampstand represents God's presence. In Zechariah's vision, there are olive trees which represent God's people, and the lampstand still represents God. In John's vision, in Revelation chapter 11, there are now not only two olive trees, but two lampstands. So, John is developing Zechariah's vision, or the motifs from Zechariah's vision. In Revelation, what's very interesting is the olive trees and the lampstands are said to symbolically represent the same thing, namely what Revelation 11 verses 3 and 4 calls the two witnesses. Again, we're not going to examine Revelation 11 in great detail for the sake of time. But to summarize, in John's inspired interpretation and development of the lampstand and olive tree motif picked up from Zechariah, the olive trees and the lampstands represent the same thing. Namely, the two witnesses to God. Now, let's review briefly. In the temple, or pardon me, in the tabernacle and in Solomon's temple, the lampstand represents God's presence. In Zechariah's vision, there are olive trees which represent God's people, and the lampstand still represents God. In John's vision, there are still olive trees which represent God's people, but now the lampstand represents God's people too. You're probably getting more and more confused as opposed to more and more clear. And if so, you're following the trajectory of the past seven days for me as I prepared this sermon. But hang in there. What are we to make of all this? Let's try to pull this all together. God is teaching us in the Old Covenant that we are invited to eat with Him in a place where He is present and where He Himself is the light. This is the Gospel invitation symbolized by the table and the lampstand. Because of what happens in the most holy place, namely the shedding of blood and the application of the blood of a substitute for the people, God's people are now reconciled to God and welcome to eat with Him in His presence in a place where He is the light. In Zechariah's vision, and we circle back around to what I was saying earlier, the presence of God in the world is in jeopardy, temporally speaking. As the opponents of rebuilding vigorously try to keep the second temple from being constructed, after the destruction of the first one and the exile to Babylon. The angel reassures Zechariah in Zechariah 4 that the work of the olive trees, Zerubbabel, the governor, and Joshua, the high priest, will not be in vain, but that they will be able to keep the light of God's presence in the world from going out, not by might, nor by power, but by God's Spirit. That's where that verse comes from. 
not by might nor by power, but by God's Spirit, the olive trees will be able to keep the light of God's presence burning. Don't worry, the rebuilding of the temple will succeed. By the time of John's vision, many, many years later, the Messiah or the Christ has appeared. And Jesus has said both, I am the light of the world. And you are the light of the world. And Jesus has so identified with his people that he can say in Matthew chapter 25, whatever you have done to the least of these, you have done to me. So, who do the lampstands represent in Revelation? Christ himself and the two witnesses to him. We don't have to say that the lampstand no longer represents Christ himself to say that the lampstands represent the two witnesses. We can say both. Because Christ has come and identified himself with his people. Are these two witnesses two individuals? I don't believe so. I think that we are to take the two witnesses as being symbolic of the witness of the church. This is because the beast is said to make war on them in Revelation 11 verse 7, which would be a strange way of talking about setting himself against two individuals. And then the parallels in the cyclical pattern of Revelation that I showed you last week refer to the war between the forces of Satan and the whole church towards the end. The imagery of the two witnesses fits both with the judiciary requirement for two or more witnesses in a court of law in the Old Testament and also with Jesus sending out his disciples two by two. So two witnesses in a book full of figurative language and symbolism would be a fitting symbol of the witness of the whole church. And I take it that way. So the lampstand represents in Revelation Christ himself and the people of God bearing witness to him. He is the light of the world, and we are the light of the world. My only point in referencing Revelation 11 and discussing the two witnesses is to demonstrate that even if we take the lampstands to represent also the people of God, they still do represent the presence of God. All I'm trying to do is demonstrate that Revelation doesn't invalidate my thesis of what Exodus 25 represents and symbolizes, right? So though we see the lampstand representing the two witnesses in Revelation, they also still represent Christ himself. It is consistent then to take the lampstand as symbolizing God's presence all the way through Scripture in every instance of the lampstand's appearance in Exodus, Leviticus, and so forth, and then again in Zechariah, and then again in Revelation. So, the lampstand represents God in the Old Covenant tabernacle, in the Old Covenant temple, in the second temple vision that Zechariah sees, and in John's apocalyptic vision of the end of the world. Let's try to pull it all together. As I said, 
God is teaching us in the Old Covenant that we are invited to eat with Him in a place where He is present and where He Himself is the light. Having had our sins atoned for by the blood of the substitute, having had our sins carried away outside the camp by a substitute as the two goats symbolized in the Day of Atonement, which I was preaching on a couple of weeks ago. Because of what has happened in the most holy place, the Israelites had been reconciled to God and were invited to come into the holy place and eat bread in His presence in a place where He Himself is the light. This is the gospel invitation symbolized by the lamb and the lampstand. Throughout the Old Testament, the priests go into the holy place and eat with God in the place where He Himself is the light. Since the priests represent the people, the one symbolic picture formed by the table and the lampstand is God's people eating with God in God's presence where He Himself is the light. This is the hope of Israel, to go into a holy place where God dwells and enjoy fellowship with Him there. And all of this is possible because of the atonement made at the mercy seat. Now we saw a couple of weeks ago that the mercy seat and the atonement that is made there prefigures Christ. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. But Christ Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so because of what Jesus has done, we are welcome to go eat with God in a place where He Himself is the light. Now, I would like to turn your attention to Revelation again, this time chapter 21 and verse 23. Listen as I read this. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And at the end of verse 25, there will be no night there. Where else in Scripture was there a place where it was always light, and where God Himself was the light? in the holy place where the lamp burned day and night. And as there were twelve loaves on the table in the holy place, food sufficient for the twelve tribes of Israel to feed God's people and to give them life, we read on in Revelation in chapter 22 and verse 2 that there are twelve kinds of fruit produced by the tree of life. Thus, the people of God eat in God's presence in a place where God himself is the light. And all of this because of what has happened at the mercy seat. 
I have more material, but we will wrap it there, wrap it up there this week for the sake both of both of time and of mental energy. Because I know I've given you a lot tonight. Let me close with verse 5 of Revelation 22. And night will be no more. They will need no light of the lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light.